Tonight's City Club of Idaho Falls broadcast is on the topic, Idaho Agriculture, Building Our Economy and Shaping Our Values, and features remarks by Celia Gould, Director of the Idaho State Department of Ag. Also in attendance was Idaho Congressman Mike Simpson. He offered federal government perspectives for select questions gathered for Celia Gould during the question and answer period. That's in the second half of tonight's broadcast on KISU, Pocatello 91.1, Idaho Falls 91.3, and Rexburg 88.1. Also streaming live at KISU.org. It's another insightful edition of the City Club of Idaho Falls, airing right after this hour's news. The City Club of Idaho Falls is proud to be a KISU supporter. The City Club exists to sponsor and promote civil dialogue and discourse on matters of public interest by striving to do so in a nonpartisan and nonsectarian manner while encouraging broad participation by the community at large. To learn more, search online for Idaho Falls City Club. Tonight's City Club of Idaho Falls broadcast features an address by the director of the Idaho State Department of Agriculture, Celia Gould. The topic for this forum Idaho Agriculture, Building Our Economy and Shaping Our Values. Also in attendance was Idaho Congressman Mike Simpson. He offered federal government perspectives for select questions during the question and answer period. To start tonight's forum, here's City Club President John Young. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at the right time and place and our distinguished guest is ready to go. To lead us forward, we turn to an individual whose dedication to civil public discourse is his passion as well as his purpose. Through his writing and presentations, he does walk his talk. His constitutional conversations continue to connect individuals seeking to understand our unique times that we are in. Please welcome City Club founder, Dr. David Adler. Thank you very much, Mark. Greetings to everybody. And let me add uh, my special thanks to Congressman Simpson for attending our luncheon today. I did warn him that since he's here, he might in fact be the target of a few questions. Um, so we may extend a couple of hours here and have an impromptu news conference. He's such a good sport. And I wanna thank Congressman Simpson as well for his tremendous leadership in supporting the National Endowment for the Humanities, which of course is the great source of money for the Idaho Humanities Council and one of our great partners here at the City Club. So all these things are interconnected. We appreciate your leadership on that, Mike. This is a great day to be talking about agriculture because nobody can see any green grass. But we just did enjoy a, a wonderful buffet of Idaho farm products, didn't we? So you're all invited to go back for seconds to show just how much you appreciate those things. Agriculture obviously is at the center of, of everything that Americans are concerned about and interested in. It is a center stage uh, topic of great concern from coast to coast and certainly here in the hinterland. And today we're very appreciative of the fact that Celia Gould, our, our Idaho Secretary of Agriculture, would, would in fact brave the roads and come join us. Uh, Celia was appointed by Governor Butch Otter as Director of the Department of Agriculture in 2007, now in her 10th year. Before that, she served in the Idaho House of Representatives for 16 years, showing essentially a quarter of a century of dedication and public service to the state of Idaho. Uh, she's a proud alumnus of Boise State University, including a, a degree in master in the public administration department where she earned a master's degree. Uh, she's an Idahoan, a third generation uh, Idahoan who continues her family business in ranching and farming. They have a farm over there in Buell and uh, they raise cattle and we enjoy all the wonderful products that she and other Idahoans produce from their farms and ranches. Uh, when she was in the House of Representatives, not surprisingly, she served on the State Agricultural Committee. She served on taxation and revenue for a time. She served as chair of the House Judiciary and Rules Committee. She's done it all, folks. She brings a widespread 
view about agriculture and Idaho politics. She happens to be the better half of a marriage with Bruce Newcomb, a very distinguished former Speaker of the House here in Idaho. Celia, so nice to have you. Let's give Celia Gold a very nice City Club welcome. Thank you very much, Dave, and it is a pleasure to be here. Rick, thank you very much to Simplot Company for sponsoring. I, Amy Lentz couldn't be here today, but I have to thank her for the invitation because it's always, I always say, I'm not a great salesman or a great speaker, but we always appreciate the opportunity to get to talk about agriculture and, and tell you a little bit what we do. I know this group knows a lot about agriculture, but I'm, I'm very honored to have the opportunity. I've got some friends in the audience today. I've got some old friends, Mike and Kathy Simpson. I served in the legislature with Mike, and, and, and we are dear friends, Bruce and I and, and Mike and Kathy, and we've traveled together and had a really good time. And, and I will tell you, when I go to DC and people find out that Mike Simpson is my friend, it helps a lot. <laughs> so I, I uh, have used that card not even judiciously, Mike, I just flaunt it. I play that card big time. But more importantly, Kathy has always been my biggest cheerleader and always said, you can do it, girl. Give it, give it a shot, give it a try, even when I thought I couldn't, and I appreciate that. I have some new friends in the crowd. Uh, the Kellys and the Eldridges, uh, just these last few years, and have gone through some interesting times in agriculture. They are what I think of as examples to me as the epitome of integrity, toughness, and what I say good old-fashioned Idaho stick-to-itiveness. My folks tell me I am not supposed to use that word. I'm supposed to say resiliency, but for me it's just plain stick-to-itiveness, and I appreciate the friendship we've forged and the trust that they have shown in their state and the Idaho State Department of Agriculture. So I'm glad that they're here today. And to all of you, thank you very much. Th these roads are horrible. I can't believe you're here. I, I already want to apologize because I don't want to let you down when you braved so much, but, but thank you very much for being here. My presentation today is going to take two angles. First, I want to talk a little bit about how agriculture builds our economy. And secondly, how agriculture amplifies our values. Let's first talk about the economy. And I'm not an economist, and I don't want to bore you with the details, so I'm, I am, I'm not going to go too, too far in the weeds and, and try to go through it quickly. But everything I mentioned today is my attempt to, to magnify the message that Idaho agriculture matters to everyone in every corner of the state. Also, just as a disclaimer, the facts and figures I've lifted from the University of Idaho's College of Ag and Life Science economist Garth Taylor. So, so I steal shamelessly when I get the opportunity. And here are a few of the facts. First, agriculture generates more sales in Idaho than any other industry. In fact, ag makes up 20% of all sales in Idaho. Agriculture accounts for at least 14% of the jobs in the state, and it makes up 16% of our gross domestic product. The numbers tell the story. Agriculture's contributions in terms of sales or jobs or GDP are huge. Without Idaho's farmers and ranchers doing what they do best, this state would look remarkably different, and I would suggest dramatically worse. I don't know how many of you might be aware of what's going in, on in Nebraska right now, but economists in ne Nebraska are predicting that their budget will face a billion dollar shortfall. And you might ask why, well, uh, Nebraska's agriculture economy is slumping. The, the urban areas of the state have been doing very well and have seen positive ac economic activity, but Nebraska's huge ag sector has been beset by unbelievably depressed commodity prices. And that's not an unfamiliar story with those of us in agriculture today. You might ask, could this same scenario happen in Idaho? And it's, it's hard to say. Like, because like Nebraska, Idaho's percent of GDP from agriculture is very high. In fact, for the whole US, Nebraska sits at number two and Idaho sits at number four for how much of our state GDP is derived from agriculture. Ag is the key to both of our economies. 
Low commodity prices, as well as the strong dollar, are affecting agriculture in all states. In Idaho, though, agriculture is dynamic. From potatoes to seed to apples, aquaculture, dairy, grains, or livestock, we are a very, very diverse um, economy, and that can serve to buffer some of the, the huge economic swings. Additionally, we're just darn good at what we do. In fact, we rank in the top 10 nationally for over 30 commodities. Dr. Taylor suggests that Idaho has weathered the terrible commodity prices better than some, like Nebraska, because we have also had record year yields in many ag sectors, including dairy, and as you folks over here know, potatoes. It's a, bl a blessing and a curse, both, both things. In fact, our dairy yields are so high, and Jan will appreciate this because she was, and there she is, Jan Rogers, was very instrumental in bringing Chobani to uh, Twin Falls. But Dr. Taylor suge suggests that it would take a new Chobani every three years to, to take care of the supply of, of our milk. And to me, that's just incredible. It's not news to you that, to those of you that live in this part of the state that ag drives Idaho's economy. If you eat or if you appreciate your schools, your roads, you didn't appreciate them today, but you will, and you won't appreciate them when the snow's gone and the potholes are there, but you do appreciate that the tax dollars that spin in this community are in large part derived from, from agriculture. And, and all of us as Idahoans should care about Idaho's ag economy. Now I'd like to talk just a minute about what to me is just as important as the economy that, that agriculture brings to the state, and that, that's the values. Agriculture has been a lifelong passion for me and has deeply influenced nearly every facet of my life. The lessons I learned on the ranch have enabled and defined me, including throughout my career. After both serving for many years in the U.S. Marine Corps, my son and daughter have recently returned to the ranch. For the grandparents in the room, you'll understand that the most important part of that is that my two grandkids came along with them back to Idaho. And that is important to have them close, but just as importantly, it's important to me to know that, that Zane and Maddie are gonna grow up on a ranch. They'll, they'll be able to work and play and learn the lessons that many of you have learned. And I think they will become different people for that, just as my, my son, myself, and my father, and so on did. So let me be a little more specific about the ways agriculture shape our values. First, agriculture teaches the value of money and effort. The longer I go in this business, the more I'm convinced it's just very expensive. From equipment to fuel to power, ag is expensive. Every family in Idaho, though, has expenses and stress. I think what makes agriculture different is the fact that our children learn right alongside us. Instead of sheltering our children from the hard realities of finances, ag kids are encouraged to dive in head first. We have them buy 4-H animals, record their expenses, document setbacks, and pray for just a little bit of profit at the end of the summer. Here's another way to look at it. Ag kids know how expensive equipment is because they recognize what that new pickup means to the operation. So they learn to take care of things. Second, ag forces you to come to grips with setbacks. Agriculture is rife with difficult circumstances that are beyond our control. Erratic weather, volatile markets, and even simpler things like doing everything you can to raise and care for an animal only for something heartbreaking to happen. Many of you in this, this room know this story better than I do. The wonderful words of Paul Harvey come to mind when he spoke about farmers. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die, then dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. We've all experienced these very intimate setbacks and we get back up with more resolve and more understanding. Our hearts are softened, our metal is galvanized, and we move on. It is character building, to say the least. This makes us better people, better parents, better community members, and better citizens. 
And I think those of you in City Club are reaping the benefits of that. Number three, ag takes us outside, literally and figuratively. Agriculture allows us to bear witness to one of God's greatest miracles. Sun, soil, water, and our hard work create food. These experiences draw us closer to our surroundings and provide us opportunities to be better stewards of the land and the precious resources needed to bring food from field to table. As farmers and ranchers, we care for, curse, and cajole our surroundings lots of times in the same day, especially this time of year. But this also means we get to experience Idaho in a very, very special way. Agri agriculture also teaches us all that there is something way, way bigger than any of us. We are constantly dependent on Mother Nature and divine intervention. Working in ag teaches us that there are so many things outside our control. And I think our children take all of this in. And like my son, it's what brings them back to the farm. We get to pass on to the new generations an indelible love of the land, along with an unshakable faith in the awesome forces of nature that can give life to food. Our work in ag allows us to do what we love with those that we love. And finally, number four, agriculture teaches us hard work. Let's face it, farming and ranching are simply tough. The hours are exhausting, the labor can be back-breaking, and to top, of a, top it off, the pay's pretty lackluster, too. It's not exactly what you'd put on a help-wanted poster. Even so, it's one of the most rewarding jobs in the world. You might ask why, but it's because Aggies learn that what is sometimes missing in our modern world. Hard work is meaningful and something to be proud of. In Idaho, we don't have enough people to harvest move or process food, and that's just ag. We need more people looking at all kinds of skilled labor. There's a skills gap all across the nation, and it's a reflection of what we value. Many people have adopted the fallacy that hard work's a bad thing, something to be avoided. That's just wrong. Ag folks know that's not how you get anywhere. To close the skills gap, we need to change the way the country feels about work. And I think the ag types can lead the way in that regard. Those of us raised on farms and ranches know that we can count on our own experiences and our own two hands to get us through most anything life throws at us. Think of how much better the world would be if people looked at work as an opportunity rather than an obligation. I know here in Idaho Falls, I'm somewhat pe preaching to the choir, you folks know what agriculture means to your local economy and the way ag values ripple through this community. So I want to close by saying thank yous to the farmers and ranchers in room. I want you to know that you are truly appreciated. And to this community that supports those farmers and ranchers, I want to know you too are appreciated. We, we all hang together and, and we have great communities in this state, something we can all be proud of. And I just want to thank you again very much for, for what you do to, to buy our products, to help us when, when we face some, some obstacles, provide the services that we need to get our jobs done, and, and hope that we in turn can do those things to help you out. So again, thank you and congratulations to this great community, and I would stand for questions except from my congressman. <laughs> And I'm just going to hand off. I steal shamelessly, but I also hand off shamelessly. Thank you so much, Director. Those very informative remarks. We appreciate them very much. Thank you. And now we have some good questions for you. Some I just want the good ones. I don't want the want bad the ones. ones. So I'm glad you got some good ones. We, we have a big <laughs> stack of good questions. Uh, not surprisingly, a number of questions are, reflect the interest in the new, uh, newly minted rules regarding immigration and its impact, their impact, on Idaho. So let's, maybe we could start broadly by asking, uh, could you explain the, uh, the size of migrant worker contribution to the, agri to the Idaho agricultural uh, network? And then we could move from there to talk about the impact of immigration rules. Thank you, Dave, and I appreciate that question. And I can't quantify 
the impact because it's unquantifiable, I believe. But I will say huge, and we all know that. I, I will tell you personally, and, and I guess most of these will be my personal opinion. I'll tell you, because I like my, to give my personal opinion more than I do the Department of Ag's uh, official <laughs> position. So I will just say if it's the, Ag's, the Department of Ag's position, I'll, I'll tell you then. But my personal position is that we're getting, the, the direction we're headed right now, we've got the cart ahead of the horse. And I saw uh, in your paper that there has been locally some, some raids and that kind of thing. I think the system needs to be fixed. I think we can all agree on this. And Mike, I would invite you to weigh in on it if you, you want to. And I will tell you that Congressman Simpson has been a leader. He hears the agriculture voice. He's been a leader in trying to fix this problem for those that will listen. It's difficult when people think that you can go in with a wholesale solution with a, uh, a system that's been broken for a long time. But we need a system to get migrant labor into this, this country. We need them and they need us. And it's, it's crazy to think that a wall or anything else that you put up is going to solve a problem when in fact we actually need each other. So in my mind, that, that says, let's just fix the problem. We have, we have, let's figure out a work permit of some sort so we can have extreme vetting or vetting or not so extreme vetting or whatever kind of vetting. But you know, I know that I have an H-2A employee and it, it works, it's getting very expensive because of some of the things, but there are things that we've, we've got some of the, the framework in place. It's not like we're gonna reinvent the wheel. The framework is in place. We just need to have problem solvers come to the table. And, and again, I, I'm not gonna compliment you anymore because you'll get a big head if I do. But you know, Mike is one of those people that's a problem solver. Let's fix it. Let's not worry about how it plays out in the press or how we can grab a headline. Let's just solve the problem. If people will meet and, and try to negotiate things out, I think we can solve that. But but the, the things that are, I'm, I'm very nervous about what I have seen in the last couple of weeks. And I'm very nervous about our ag community. So, so I, I think I just heard an invitation from you, Director, to our congressman to weigh in on immigration reform at the national level. And it would be really rude of me to deny our congressman an opportunity, wouldn't isn't that right? to deny our congressman the opportunity to respond to his good friend's invitation. So, so congressman, it's so nice to have you here. Would you, uh, would you like to take a few minutes and, and tell us your view on immigration reform and your response to President Trump's uh, new uh, policy, which some call a mass deportation, just to put an edge on it. Thank you, congressman. <laughs> sure, it's great that, uh, my wife said, hey, you know, Celia's talking at uh, the City Club Friday. We ought to go. I said, sure, let's go. I'll have to rethink that. <laughs> anyway, it prevents me from asking some really tough questions I was going to ask Celia. Maybe some embarrassing ones. We've known each other so long. But then I figured she has as much information on me as I have on her and Bruce. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm concerned with what's going on right now in the, uh, in the country and what the Trump's orders are and a few things like that. Uh, and the increase in, in uh, uh, raids that they're having. It, the reality is, it's our fault, Congress's fault. And more particularly, it's Republican Congress's fault because we've been in charge for the last six years. And we have not come up, we've known this has been a problem for years that we needed to fix. And we've tried to, we've had bills that have gone through the Senate, haven't been brought up in the House. I can tell you, in all honesty, I talked to Speaker Boehner many times, obviously, he was a good friend of mine. The one thing he wanted to fix before he left was immigration. It is a tough nut to crack because everybody has a different idea. There are many people out here who think we ought to just ship everybody out that's come here illegally. I'll tell you when, that, when my mind kind of changed a little bit about that. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's in the high 90s of the percentage of the people that come here, coming here for the same reason you and I would if we were living in Mexico making 50 cents a year trying to support a family. 
to improve our livelihoods and improve our li the lives of our families. Bruce and Celia and Kathy and I were in Mexico, staying at a resort. Guy came around, uh, was doing yard work, cleaning up the trees and that kind of stuff. Bruce and I went out and talked to him. We found out that if he had saved every cent he made, none was taken out in taxes, anything, he just saved it completely for a year. He could stay at the place we were staying for one night. Now, what would you do? I don't blame these people trying to improve their lives. But the American people expect us to have an immigration system that works. They don't want people coming illegally. A wall is not going to stop people that come, that come illegally. But what we've got to do is convince the American people that we're doing everything we can to try to stop illegal immigration. You're never going to stop it completely. Does that mean a wall? In some places, a wall. Some places, is probably a virtual wall uh, and other things. But there are some places, quite frankly, along this border, you can't build a wall. So Congress needs to do their job, but I will tell you, I understand the fear that the, the immigrant community has right now, that they're going to get picked up and, and uh, taken out of this, out of the, back to wherever they came from. What if you're a DACA child, came here as a child? You were brought here by your parents. Technically, you're here illegal, illegally. They've only known America as their country. Where are you going to ship them back to? We can't do that. That's not American. It's not American. To, it's not Republican or American to split up families. If, they, if they've come here and they've got children that are here that are American citizens, you're going to take their parents and ship them back to Mexico or Guatemala or wherever they came from? You can't do that. That's not who we are. So we need to solve this problem. Uh, and there will be much uh, gnashing of teeth and everything else before it's done. But I think it's one of the top priorities that Congress has to, has to face, frankly. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. I'm sure we're, going, we're coming back to you before this program's over. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, Director, would you give us, you, you mentioned you're concerned about the impact of the new rules on Idaho agriculture. Just how might that affect the different component parts from the dairy industry forward? Well, particularly for the dairy industry, it's difficult because dairy doesn't qualify. The program I use, H2A, is for an irrigator in the summer. So um, Romero comes up March 25th, and he goes back October 15th. He works his hiney off all summer long. You can set your watch by Romero, uh, you know. It's, it's unbelievable. It puts me to shame. It makes me feel guilty. I kind of turn my head when I see him go by because I think, oh, you are so lazy, Celia. But, uh, but the dairymen can't use that same program because they're, you know, the cows don't take the winter off. And I know that dairymen wish that they would, but they don't. And uh, so they don't qualify for any program for that kind of labor. The folks come in. They have papers. The dairymen are doing what they're required to do by checking the papers. Whether the papers, you know, it's, it's just a reality. I, you know, it's one of those things I think that maybe for too long those of us in the ag community were afraid to talk about because we felt like we were doing something legal, illegal. In some cases, we were, absolutely. The bottom line is still we can't survive without them the dairy industry in this, this state. It's their number one. You know, I go to my national ag directors conferences and a lot of the other directors in the northeastern states, you know, the Ben and Jerry's ice cream and all those where they have the pretty red barns and the, they don't know how we dairy out here. The, you know, they have a couple hundred cows maximum. That's, that's a big dairy. And, and so they're talking because dairy prices are so low and how do we keep our folks from from going broke and that kind of thing. And so they want our national organization to focus on milk price pricing and those kinds of issues. My dairymen say, stay away from that. The marketplace will take care of it itself. We'll, it'll figure itself out. You know, the, our number one concern is immigration. And they've, they've put everything on the line on the immigration uh, policy issue. Every, that's, that's their bread and butter right now. So. It's huge. Um, it affects other, 
other segments of, of Idaho agriculture, you know, some of the, the tree fruit folks and that, the, the migrant labor that comes through to harvest those crops, it will affect. So it's, it's going to be tough. And, and so, Director, given uh, the potential, maybe likely loss of, of a substantial percentage of Idaho's farm workforce, uh, how are farm owners, ranch operators, dairy uh, farmers going to make up for that loss, and how will it affect them economically on the assumption, maybe hypothetical, that they'll have to pay other workers more than they pay migrant farmers, and if, if that uh, assumption's incorrect, please let us know. Thank you, and, and I, I'm not a dairyman, but I will say I think the assumption is, is incorrect that they will, will have to pay other people more to do it, because I will tell you what, they won't find anybody else to do it at any price. You can't find anybody that's gonna do that kind of work no matter what you pay them. So that's just the reality. I don't know how many of you have milked cows lately. It's been many years since I did, and I'll guarantee you, I'm not going to do it at any price. So it, it's, it's just a very, very tough job. Um, you know, how will it f impact the dairy industry economically? Again, I don't have a crystal ball, and I'm not a dairyman, but I would see we see some of the dairies getting even bigger and putting in robotics. You know, it's, which is kind of interesting to me because some of the folks, the same folks that are, are wanting to deport our, our labor force are the same ones that, that complain about farms being too big. You know, and I, what, do you, what else you do? You've, you, if you've got to, in, if the, we're not gonna have any choice but to go to robotics or, or some other form of labor because it's not gonna be human labor if we can't get that labor force. Drawing on your, your 25 years of public service at Idaho in the House and now in your position as the head of, of the Department of Agriculture, what would you like to say to Governor Otter uh, when the Trump administration asks uh, the state uh, <laughs> to contribute its law enforcement officials to helping to round up immigrants? Can I hand this one to Mike too? Well, the second part of the question asked actually uh, Ms. Gold, is what would you like to say to your congressional delegation on that matter of using local police to help um, round up illegal immigrants? Okay, at the risk of being fired, yeah, he's not going to fire me. Maybe. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I do not want my tax dollars that I pay for local law enforcement being used to round up people that that uh, that labor force. That being said, if there is an illegal alien committing a criminal act, and I don't mean parking and not paying a parking meter or whatever, a criminal act, absolutely, I want my tax dollars used to arrest and deport that person. But I don't want my local law enforcement being used to go on raids. And, and as a follow-up then, um, what would you like to ask Congressman Simpson to do on the immigration issue? Mikey, just fix it. That's what I want him to do, just fix okay, it. Okay, we will. <laughs> we'll come back for elaboration in a bit, thank you. So you're, you're facing a, a major problem here with economic consequences in the department that, that you govern, and presumably you're going to be talking to Governor Otter about his acquiescence in the program or a challenge to the program. But would you advocate sanctuary cities in places like Jerome? You know, I'm not, I won't get into that realm. I really think that's for the local communities to decide and the local, you know, that's for in, in Bonneville or county, if it's a county, those commissioners or if it's your city elected officials, that's, that's their cause to take up. I'll stay out of that one. Okay, thank you, Sia. We indicated we have fun questions for you. Wow, yeah. These are great. Now let's turn to the more interesting questions. <laughs> so uh, could you please talk a little bit about how important uh, it is to Idaho to be able to export our agricultural products uh, to various nations around the world, uh, and how you might feel about uh, the Export-Import Bank 
and perhaps uh, the Trump administration's decision to terminate TPP. What impact does that have on Idaho? Okay. So, I, yeah, and th I appreciate that one because that one's a little more of a softball. I was hoping you had at least one of those in that stack. And if you'll read what Idahoans would have to consume every day if we don't export, you will understand how important export is to Idaho agriculture. But, but we're an export state. We can't, we can't ship enough potatoes and dairy and all that we do domestically. We've got to export. And so uh, I thought it was a mistake to turn away from TPP, a huge mistake. That had been negotiated for a long time. Agriculture is a big winner in the trade deals, whether it be NAFTA or TPP, we win. And so I'm, I'm not, I don't have to work, watch out for the automobile manufacturers. That's not my problem. That's somebody else's to advocate for. My job is to agri uh, advocate for the farmers and ranchers of the state of Idaho, and they need to be able to export their products. You know, we, we export so much out of this state. And it, sometimes it gets a little frustrating for me because I think our producers, our farmers and ranchers, we're so good at what we do. We love to get, get the work done. We love to grow our crops. We love to raise our animals. And then we want somebody else to deal, deal with the rest of it. You know, and so I don't think we're as involved in the export story as we need to be. You know, I am told for every beef animal that is raised, and these numbers are probably when beef prices were a little bit higher, so the percentages or the total dollars might be off a little bit, but when they were a little bit higher, $300 of every head that was, was marketed could be attributed to export. And that's, that's the, for those folks in the, the beef business, you know that's a big number. Yeah, thank you very much. And so as a follow-up, uh, what's your reaction to the news that the Trump administration has the Export-Import Bank on the chopping block? Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, the Director of Commerce and myself actually put out uh, an opinion uh, op-ed deal on the detriment that that would cause to the state and the nation and we've gotten again a lot of good help from our our congressman on that issue and and i think that that's a mistake could you speak to the issue of the level of federal subsidies for idaho farmers uh, different component parts how large is that how how substantial what's the impact on our economy I have to laugh about this a little bit because, then again, I'm going to drag Mike into the mud just a little bit. So when um, Mike and Bruce and I were in the legislature, Bruce kept telling Mike, you know, and then Mike leaves and goes to Congress, and, and Bruce kept say, saying, Mike, you have got to protect our subsidies. You've got to protect our subsidies. So Mike goes back and is the champion for us in that farm bill, and, and Bruce is in her viewed by one of the newspapers, and he says, well, yeah, it's kind of like uh, a welfare program. Mike says, thanks a bunch, Bruce. That helped me a lot. Not a very good description. And they're not welfare programs. There's a lot in the current farm bill that assist our farmers. It's moved more towards crop insurance in the, the farm bill that we're, we're living under right now. Um, when we get into the specific commodity titles, it gets very complicated because we start dividing ourselves, you know, d d depending on what, what, who's growing what. So, I, you know, more importantly than that, Dave, I think it's important that everybody knows as we go into the new farm bill in 2018, that just a very small portion of that actually goes to farmers and ranchers. That that whole title is nutrition. It's the food stamp, stamp uh, portion. And a lot of folks in agriculture argue that that should be divided. Um, I'm of the opinion that it should not. You need to hold that together because, and Mike's again the better expert, the expert on this. I'm not, I'm just, just uh, repeating what I hear from, from other directors. And we feel like without those urban areas and without the urban vote that we won't be able to pass a farm bill. So. So I think it's critical that we hold together and rather than, the, I don't know the specific dollars, I know it's less than it used to be, 
but more importantly, that we keep all of those dollars, where it be, whether it be for rural development, um, the commodity title, whatever it is, uh, uh, resource, the conservation provisions, that we keep those dollars intact. We're going to come back to Congressman Simpson in just a moment at your invitation, <laughs> I know. But let's switch gears slightly to a very popular issue here in Idaho, and that involves the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, what is your, what's your view about the proposed changes in EPA with respect to the impact on Idaho, Idaho agriculture, particularly because uh, some people have characterized the Snake River as a, as a polluted river, as a dumping ground because there's so many uh, different kinds of fertilizers and chemicals that are a function of agriculture runoff being dumped into the river. Well, first I would argue that there is that kind of runoff being dumped into the river. I wouldn't argue that uh, about a week ago last Thursday when everything was being dumped into the river, including some folks' corrals and everything else, it was, I guess it ultimately made it to the river, but you know, when the big floods came, if you lived where I live in Buell, I had to go to Twin Falls to get back to Buell because all three roads were washed out from the west side coming into Buell. So it's not, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the river. So, so that time period accepted. You know, farmers and ranchers are doing a good job. It's our job as a state agency for, for uh, CAFOs to, to make sure that they have nutrient management plans in place and so that we're not getting overly, uh, putting too much into the river. So, so I think that we do try to do a good job. I know DEQ does a good job of regulating as well and they're seeking primacy. Um, maybe those are kind of two different questions because you ask about EPA as well. Uh, and I will just say an organization that is extremely difficult to deal with needs, uh, you know, maybe it is, I, I've been uh, um, discouraged by the, the Trump approach of throwing a bomb at all of the, the federal agencies. I don't think that's the solution. I think that creates a lot of problems for those of us that have had some success working with, for example, USDA in that. But I do think that EPA is one that needs a real thorough look-see at what's going on and needs to divest of itself of some of its authority and turn a lot of that back to the states as far as regulation. And, and what's your view on how EPA regulations have affected Idaho agriculture over your, your roughly 10 years in the position? Well, I guess my biggest complaint is that they never ask us before they hand down a new, a, a new regulation, you know, whether it be worker protection standards, waters of the U.S. They come in afterwards and tell us this is what you're going to do. If they would come in ahead of time and work with us, I think we could find some good common solutions that help everyone. But then, interestingly enough, as some folks in the room have learned the hard way, when you really need them and you call on them for, for help and say, we have an environmental problem here, they're nowhere to be found. You, can't, you cannot shake them out from under the covers. And I think the, the perfect example of that was the Flint, Michigan uh, instance where they just pointed, you know, people said there's, there's an instance. We've had, we've had actually instances where we have, have reported discharges they don't do anything, but they want, you know, the, I, I got into one conversation with a, a person, this has been four or five years ago at EPA, and, and I said, we, our preference is to try to go in and educate people and get them to do the right thing rather than to, you know, hit them over the head with a club. If they're, if they're bad actors, if they're going to continually be breaking the law, but if they have a situation as we've got with a lot of dairies right now and other, other not just dairies, other agriculture, other non-ag uh, situations where you've got water coming in, there's, there are going to be some environmental concerns. Um, you know, we couldn't get them to, to take hold of those kinds of things. So it's frustrating. It's been very frustrating. There are a lot of anxieties, uncertainties on, uh, on matters involving the budget, and, and I'm sure that you're, you're doing your best to promote continued funding for research and technology. What do you say to the Idaho legislature 
when it comes time to promote uh, agriculture as the backbone of Idaho's economy? Well, I mostly say what I just said in my speech. If you want roads and bridges and uh, good schools, you better take good care of agriculture because we're, we're, we're creating new wealth. And we're proud of that. And we recognize that those, those dollars turn several times in the community and throughout the state. And <coughs> I will say we have been well taken care of by the legislators. And your, your legislators do a good job as well. We've, you know, we, we have a lot of support from, from them. Let's shift gears now for a second. But what can be done to revitalize the, uh, the horse racing industry here in Idaho? Just to select a non-controversial topic That's for a congressional you. issue, isn't it? I mean, tribes, federal, isn't that congressional? Oh, boy, howdy. Do you have any softballs in there? We just threw you all know, the softballs. We haven't gotten to the fun questions okay. yet. Uh, you know, I don't know that I'm the right person. It's a little bit out of my lane of traffic. It's one that is not handled by our <coughs> agency. I guess I'd say I'm not trying to dance around it, but I am really trying to dance around it because we just, we don't, uh, yeah, it's a tough situation. I'd, I'd like to see a revitalized, um, thank you, Rick, a revitalized horse racing industry because I enjoy it. But um, that's not the way it's sorted out, and I'll leave that for the policymakers to figure out. And you think it's a federal question, do you? No, I did, don't. I really don't. Don't, don't dump that one on Mike. That one's, that one's over the edge to dump on him. So let's return to, to the broader issue once more of immigration. Uh, and you've, you've indicated your position, I think, very clearly. What would you like to ask your congressional delegation to do with respect to the mass deportation, with respect to the uh, authorization of funds to hire more border patrol and to building the wall. Is, in your view, is that worth the price? You know, I, I guess I'd have to quantify building the wall. I keep hearing 14 billion, then I hear 25 billion. Is that worth the price? It's not to me, but I don't know what it means really. As, as Mike said, you can't build a wall everywhere. Do we need a more secu secure border? Yes. I think we need to strengthen border security. I think we all want that. Do I want the, the deportation, the raids and that kind of thing? Absolutely not. I think, I don't think it's the right thing to do. I think Mike articulated that. I think that, that uh, and he articulated that very well, that they need to fix it. And, and I, I feel sorry for those in Congress that want to solve problems because they're confronted with many that are grandstanding. And that's a tough situation to be in because you're always getting beat over the head. You know, it's sometimes in, in those political situations, it's those that yell the loudest, and those that sit back and try to solve the problems are not heard. And uh, so it's, it's on us to support them and, and give them, because you'll hear how many calls such and such got, get, you know, I like these raids. I, but, so we need to do a better job of saying, we support you in your, your genuine attempt to solve this immigration problem. And thank you for not grandstanding on it. Thank you. So now we're going to turn to your congressional counterpart uh, because Congressman Simpson is well known as a fiscal conservative. And so, uh, well, you have not seen the entire program rolled out by the Trump administration yet, Congressman. What's your initial reaction to the costs incurred by building the wall, the virtual wall, and hiring perhaps 20,000 more uh, ICE officials and others uh, to police immigration. Mexico's gonna pay for it. <laughs> Mexico's gonna, seems like we've heard that somewhere. So do you think, so do you, so do you think Congress should front the money? Uh, we will front the money for some of it. I, I, they'll come in with, this is the challenge that you're gonna face in the budget, and this is kind of off topic of just immigration. They want to spend a whole bunch of mon more money on defense. When you look at our entire discretionary budget, it is about 28% of all that the federal government spends. That's the money we appropriate every year. Of that 28%, about 50% is defense. If you take Homeland Security and Veterans Affairs and add that, it's about 70%. So 30% of the 28% of the entire budget is what funds everything else in government, including the Department of Agriculture. And, uh, and those types of things. So if they're going to boost defense spending a whole bunch, 
and they're going to do a supplemental for the wall. They're going to do a supplemental for maybe uh, an infrastructure bill. Where's all that money going to come from? Then what's going to happen? Are they going to take it out the rest of the budget? You could eliminate that that 30% of the 28% and still not balance the budget. So how are you going to get to a balanced budget with all of the additional spending in other areas? Ultimately, you got to grow the economy. So there are a lot of things that the Trump administration is proposing that are, are good in the direction they're going. Some of the things, you know, I mean, he promised a wall, and I think he feels he has to keep uh, true to that promise. But the reality is you're not going to build a wall all across the what is it, 2,800 miles or something like that on the, on the southern border. In some places, it just would be impossible to build. Uh, the additional ICE people and stuff that they're talking about hiring, uh, let's let the approach committee go through them and see exactly what they need and, and, uh, and uh, if additional ICE people would help. But I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, I, I agree with Celia when, you know, the. I don't want our local law enforcement going out and enforcing the immigration laws. That's the federal government's job. But yet if they pick somebody up and they've got him in jail and ICE has a hold on him, they ought to be able to do that and be willing to do that and cooperate with the federal government. So this sanctuary city thing is going to be a big issue coming, coming up in the, next, uh, in the next probably three or four months. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. And just so you know, we so appreciate your your commentary that you're welcome to return here anytime and we'll buy you lunch. <laughs> and in fact, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that was just a preview of the congressman's forthcoming remarks at a forthcoming appearance here before the City Club because you're one of our favorite speakers. Thank you. Uh, so we're nearly out of time, uh, Celia. Uh, let's change subjects here again. How would the addition of a community college here in Idaho Falls promote or champion <laughs> agriculture uh, and Eastern Idaho. Oh, can I have Jan answer that one? I'm guessing, I'm guessing, well, I'm gonna give you a Jan answer because I, again, clear out of my lane of traffic. Um, oh, wow, are you serious? Well, okay, yes, I think yes, yes. So. Vote yes, please vote yes. So we, so for you, for those of you listening on KISU, we just heard from Congressman Simpson that yes is the proper answer, and joined, concurred in by Celia Gould, our Director of Agriculture. Very clear positions. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, so I'm so sorry that our time has elapsed so quickly. It's been wonderful to have you here. We invite you to return again. Thanks for braving the roads. Let's give the Director of Agriculture a warm thank you. Thank you, and thank you all very much. I really appreciate you. This forum was recorded on February 24, 2017, at the Idaho Falls Benyon Student Union Building. Audio for this and all past City Club forums can be accessed at ifcityclub.com archives. KISU supporters include the City Club of Idaho Falls. The City Club is an organization led by dedicated board members who donate their talents, time, and resources to make a difference in our community. With the monthly forums recorded and rebroadcast to KISU listeners throughout eastern Idaho. Details are online at ifcityclub.com.